and I've been running around with this dope addict. He's about, he's about got me and Brandon killed. Poor, if I was Pam, I wouldn't drive him nowhere. He, he took me out to eat last night. We liked to, a whole restaurant liked to whoop me after he started up on them with his antics. I didn't know he was on prednisone and uh, an, antifreeze and <laughs> smoking pot. I don't know what he's been doing. But y'all better pray for me. Either I told him I want to talk on yours. You older people, that means take a draft. Y'all got, y'all got to go to town more, I'm telling you. I told him either he's going to give me some of his dope. I wasn't riding nowhere else with him. We had a, we had a uh, fellowship at the church on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. For new members, we had about 60, and uh, we cooked a meal for them, and we, had, we have a ministry to soldiers out at Fort Gordon there in Augusta, and they were there with them. We had a building full of people. We, we just got all kinds of ministries, and we was trying to, trying to feed them, and we had our new members uh, banquet, and uh, we, I think we got a hold of some bad sour cream and some potatoes, and a bunch of our folks have got salmonella food poisoning. And I think, because I remember specifically well tearing them potatoes up. So I probably got some kind of jungle disease that, uh, that will not let me live long. I remember one time when I was about 25 years old, I was pastoring a church down in Augusta, uh, a convention work. And uh, I got sick one, one Sunday afternoon, just sick as a dog running fever. And one of the men came and gave me a brown sack. Always be careful about drinking out of a brown sack. <laughs> he said, this will help you, and it's, it's legal. And I opened the bag up and looked in it. It was the first time I'd ever seen any NyQuil. He said, just turn it up. Don't worry about the little plastic bottle. People who are wimps use that. He said, just drink it up. He said, you'll be fine in a little while. Well, I drink about half that bottle. And this is 6 o'clock. We started at 7. I went in there. I don't remember nothing. But I do, I do know I preached two hours wide open. And they said it was the best sermon I ever preached. <laughs> so I do appreciate you tolerating us, uh, taking care of us, and being our friends, and loving brother and sister uh, Pam and Curtis. I appreciate them and thank the Lord for them. And I know you do. I can sense that. If I didn't sense that, I've got a sermon. <laughs> you don't want me to break that one out. Oh, it'll be awful. But I'm glad you love them and take care of them. And that's their testimony to me. And I appreciate it much. There's a, there's a DVD back there, Why Jesus is Appealing to Me. If you like old-fashioned, rare back, spit your tonsils out to the back wall and burn the sheetrock, get the copy of this camp meeting sermon, Why Jesus is Appealing to Me. It's back there 
on the uh, uh, table. You're welcome to come by and browse through and look at them. There's another one back there. Some of you ask about if you still have that one. Tell the devil I changed my mind. It's back there. Preached at, at Tommy Steele's place. Get it. Let it be a blessing to you. And let it be a help to you. Look at your Bible in Psalm 126. Psalm 126. I want you to get your place. I'm going to do my best to give you as simple and basic a thought as I can. And I'm going to do everything that I can to drive it home to your heart and mine. I'm looking for God to touch me in my preaching. If it does not do anything for me and to me, why should I export it to you? I'm glad to know tonight that this book cuts coming and going. This Bible is as sharp as a two-edged sword. It will divide the bone and the marrow. It is so sharp. And I hope and pray tonight that God will speak to our hearts in that uh, method and in that fashion. Look at uh, verse number 1, Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again, everybody say that word with me, again. Say it out loud, one, two, three, again. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Look at verse number two. Then, I want you to underscore the word then. Then when? It means then whenever the captivity has been dealt with. When the captivity has been turned. When God has created an about face. This country does not need a continuance in the way it's living. It needs a repentant turnaround. I, I see right now I'm going to have to remind myself I'm sick. I'm going to have to remind myself I'm sick. Because uh, there's something about preaching make a sick man go crazy. Look at, look at verse 2. Then, when? When the captivity was settled. When God turned it around. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Notice it goes on to say, then, notice what it says, then in the beginning of verse 2 and then in the second or B part of verse 2, then said they among the heathen, then said those among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. You can't miss this, this, this psalm. I've preached the back end of it several, several times, but I've never seen the message on the front porch of this psalm. Look at, look at, look at verse 3. Then the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Every one of us have to work 
at not becoming captive to the enemy. If you think for one moment, strolling down that middle aisle and kneeling down and praying to be saved is going to be something that you can take easy and that you can take simple and that you can take without adversity and you can take without animosity, you better stay where you are. Because I promise you, if you take a stand for God and take an unequivocal stand for the Holy Ghost and God Jehovah, our Father, if you take that stand, you will have issues in your life of captivity. Israel was God's chosen nation. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel, the Bible says, was God's anointed. I don't know why God anointed them. I don't know why He chose them. Ain't got a thing to do with me. I'm working on what has something to do with me. Not why I don't understand everything God does. But they are in captivity. Let me read Psalm 137. I was reading this today. Look at Psalm 137. Uh, what, it, what it says, by the rivers of Babylon, this is the same context that they're in in 126, uh, or uh, one, one, uh, yeah, 126, and this is the same context, just a, uh, a push on it a little more in verse 1 of 137. But the rivers of Babylon, or by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing one of those songs of Zion. They're captors. Those that took them captive told them when they sat down on the side of the riverbank, they said, sing us one of them church songs you love. Sing us one of them religious songs you love. That's what they're saying today to a captive group of people that's allowing sin and degradation to eat away at the very fabric of who we are. I mean, mister, listen to me. If you're right with God and you're walking with God in any way, form, or fashion, you have you a song, sing it. You have you a message, preach it. You have you a testimony, show it to the glory of God. He goes on to say, uh, saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. Then it says in verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Let me say something to you tonight. Every one of us, all of us, ought to throw in with God and let Him turn our captivity around. Now, I'm not going to take for granted that you understand that statement. I'm going to say it again. There are people in here Satan is after. There are people in here, sin is after. You're in something you shouldn't be in, and your will has been taken captive. You used to praise him. Now you think that boy's crazy. 
standing up in the choir where you used to clap your hands when they testified like that. And now we've done got so sophisticated and we done got so debonair and we done got so religiously correct and we've already got ourselves into a situation to where we've let our captivity rule our lives. And I came to tell you something. Out of these verses, every one of us, every one of us, ought to let God turn our captivity around because of the benefits that are stated in verses 1, 2, and 3. I want you to see them. Look at them, verse 1. When your captivity is turned around by God, number one, your dream will return. Read verse 1, Brandon. Listen to what it says. When God turned them around, what was the first thing they started doing? Dreaming. They had lost their dream because they hung their hearts up. They had lost their dream because they had sat down. Dreamers don't sit down and dream. Dreamers dream in activity. Dreamers dream uh, simply because it is a move of God in their heart. Thank God for a dream God gives you. Thank God for a dream God puts in a preacher's heart. Thank God for a dream that God installs in our life. But if you let, if you let satanic influence bring you into a captive situation, or your mind is brought into captivity, your hands are brought into captivity, your feet are brought into captivity, when you do that, the first thing you're going to lose is your ability to dream. But when he turns it around, verse 1, we were as those that dream again. Uh, I have a friend in South Georgia. He had a little girl that was five at the time I met him. I never seen anybody joined at the hip with a kid like he was. We go to to a meeting, he'd show up with that girl, his wife, and had two boys. Boys were a little older. That little old girl walked in and stole her daddy's heart. And uh, he, he was just everything she needed for him to be, and she loved him to death. She always had him by the fingers. She was always with him when they was walking down the church aisle. He'd go get in the car, put her in there, and put the rest of them in there. She'd sit up front and put them old boys in the back seat. They probably hated her. When she was six, he called me, and he said, Brother, he said, My little girl, this morning, after a three- or four-day sickness of a violent nature, my little girl was diagnosed this morning at Emory Hospital in Atlanta uh, with, uh, with, what was it that Randy had? Randy, uh, lymph noma. My mind's gone blank. Um, anyway, she had a severe form of cancer. And it was taking her by the moment. Her whole body was eaten up with it. This preacher went to his church 
And they started fasting and praying and called for a 30-day fast and prayer meeting. All the people in the community were coming. The church members were coming. The preacher laid on the floor, I was told, in the front of the Lord's Supper table and prayed and believed God and never ate a mouthful of food for 30 days and change. They got down to the end of their fasting and they got down at the end of their praying time and she had gotten no better but worse. Into about the 38th or 40th day of this, the hospital sent word they needed to come as soon as possible if they wanted to see her alive. She had leukemia. That was the word I was looking for. She had leukemia. And they said, if you want to see her alive, you need to come quickly. They got over there and spent 20 minutes with her, and she was gone. People have fasted. People have prayed. People have longed before the Lord, touched His garment, begged for healing, touched His garment through prayer and through encouragement, only to see the little girl die. It was astronomical. This man lost his mind for a week absolutely went crazy. Let me say something to you. Be careful how you talk about other people and their responses because you don't know how you'd act in the right situation. And I, I was doing everything I could to console this man, everything I could to help him. I sure wasn't ready for what he did next. He went in on a Wednesday night, laid his Bible down on the pulpit and closed it during the announcement time, and said, I will no longer preach this Bible. He said, I will no longer pastor this church. He said, I will not tell you what I think God can do when I watched Him not do it for me. He walked out of the pulpit, his Bible closed, got his wife and boys, they went out, and for two and a half weeks, he tried to move out of that pastoral. Got the stuff that was his one day and then another day and they came back and the memories were so strong and even the smell of that little girl and all of her toys and all that stuff, he was having a struggle. One day he was packing the last of his books. He was in a, a library type situation. He was pulling books off the uh, shelf and putting them in boxes to give them to a boy that was past the little church about 15 miles from where he was. And a little New Testament fell off of the bookshelf. That little testament was the one he used in funeral. He only had one verse underlined in it. When it fell off of the book rack, it fell open because the spine, I found out later, was broken in that area and there was a ribbon in it. And he picked it up. And the verse that was underlined was this one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said God wasn't asking him to read that to the Lord. He said the Holy Spirit was reading it to him. He said, why hast thou forsaken me? Why will you leave me? 
Why will you let me go? Why will you bolt on me now? Why hast thou forsaken me? He said, Preacher, I don't know what happened, but my knees buckled. He said, Before I knew it, I was down on my face in that little library, on my knees first, and then fell flat as if I was shot on my face in the carpet. He said, and my mouth began to praise him. My mouth began to talk to him. My prayer life began to speak to him. And all of a sudden, God in a new way, God in a new fashion, God in a new burst of spiritual energy began to work in my life. And before you know it, preacher, it took me 30 or 35 minutes to get my composure. Finally, I shut up. And he said, my eyes was about swelled shut. He said, I went back over to that church house and my Bible was still there. He said, wasn't a soul over there. He said, I opened that Bible and I said, God, if you'll give me another opportunity to dream, if you'll give me another opportunity to minister, if you'll give me another opportunity to do right. He said, I'll do right. That old boy's still at that church right now. God gave him his dream back when what? When he turned his captivity. You can be captive to your own emotions. Captive to your own circumstances. Captive to problems that come your way. You can get bitterly captive before people and before God because it didn't work like you wanted it to. Let the Lord have His way in your life every day. He knows what He's doing. Somebody holler, Amen. Amen. The first minute. Now let me ask you a question. Your dream, where is it? I dreamed my marriage would stay together. What happened? I dreamed I'd keep my job. I dreamed my kids wouldn't act so crazy. I dreamed and I believed and I trusted. But all of a sudden, it looks like seven ways from Sunday is turning loose on me. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to let God turn your captivity around. Let God turn your, your captivity away from you and back toward decency and right. And God's going to re, uh, revitalize and revive and redo your captivity. Bring it out so that dreams will return. Amen. There's a second one. Where is it, son? Verse 2. Let me hear it. Then, explain then. When the Lord turned it around. That's when God turned it around. He said, God turned it around, verse 1. God moved, verse 1. God anointed, verse 1. God fixed it, verse 1. Then, you can't do a whole lot until He does what He can do. Read it one more time. When? When the Lord When God turned that captivity around, number two, not only will dreams return, but disciples will rejoice. These sad, ashen faces on these bad disputes will change. You acting like your mother-in-law moved in and ain't a leaving ain't a spiritual gift. You looking like your driver's license picture ain't the greatest thing we've seen all week long either. 
But I'm glad that most people come into the house of God with a frown because they're walking around in captivity. They're walking around bound down. They're walking around encumbered about with a load of care. But let God move in. Let the Holy Ghost move in. Let God's power ride through. Let God's person ride through. Let God's purpose get good and hot. And I promise you, when His purpose is kicked in, the disciples will rejoice. <laughs> Years ago, I was at Tacoa Falls going to church, going to college during the Vietnam War. I had already been in the service, gotten out. I was probably 22 now. And uh, every once in a while at Tacoa Falls, they would send word from one of the churches and say, we need a preacher for Sunday. Well, most of them was there hiding from the draft. So they didn't want to preach. I had already been, and I, I was just there hiding from the devil. And I wanted to do whatever I could to serve the Lord. And they said, we got this one boy. We don't know what he'll say. We don't know what he'll do. He comes with a disclaimer. <laughs> he don't even approve his own message. <laughs> he... But he'll come and he'll preach. Well, they told me where to go and they gave me the address and Diane and I and our three youngins got ready on Sunday morning and I took off to Seneca, South Carolina. Turned left off that main road going from Decor over to Seneca. I turned left and went back down in the boondocks to a little place called Old Salem United Methodist Church. I had no idea what kind it was and didn't care because if they were going to let me preach, I was just ready, you know. I figured Methodists could take a little gospel about as good as Baptists could anyway, so I just came down there and preached to them. The morning I walked in, the good steward, they don't have deacons. Anybody in here Methodist? You Methodist? All right. Uh, they have stewards, right, for deacons. It's, that's close anyway. He was in charge, this guy was. Wasn't but about 40 people. And, and he, was in, he took me in the back, and he had a dress back there that, that they wear. <laughs> uh, they, they do that where you come. A robe. Mine was a dress. <laughs> it was a robe. He started, he started putting his robe on. Zipping up and getting down there. He said, get yours. I said, my wife's out there. If she sees me in that dress, she ain't never going to let me live it down. Is there any way I could forego that, that, that robe? He said, well, uh, I sure would appreciate it if you'd wear it. I said, okay. I don't want to offend nobody. So I put the robe on. Can you imagine me on a Methodist platform with a robe on? <laughs> that steward got up and he introduced me and I came over there to the pulpit and I started preaching. I forgot all about my dress, forgot all about the robe, forgot all about... I was preaching and I threw my, my foot up in the air and just stomped it. Wham! And the heel of my foot caught in the hem of my dress. <laughs> 
And it just ripped the whole hind end. Is hind end up here a bad word? Y'all know where it's at? Okay, it ain't bad then. I ripped the whole hind end. When you're with rednecks, you got to make it plain. I mean, when I stomped, wham! I mean, I felt ventilation. About that time, I did it again with this one and just tore that side off too. And that robe split right up the middle when I throwed my arm up one time and busted the zipper. And it just fell right off the front of me in a heap right there. It just fell. The, the, good, the good steward was sitting down there with his own, and, and mine was in a pile. So I just ran back and kept it. Well, there was two women there, one of them in the back. Helping Jesus. I didn't know it then, but that when they think you're struggling, that's what they'll tell you. Helping Jesus. Then there was another one across the hallway from her, the, the middle aisle. She'd say, Bless him, Lord. Well, they got together. Helping Jesus. Bless him, Lord. Well, you don't want to do that to a man that's just tore up all his clothes. My robe is in an ash heap. My dignity is on top of it. The steward's going to kill me. Probably won't even give me gas money. Make me pay for the robe. And, and I had no idea about nothing Methodist. Nothing. And on the pulpit, my brother, was a, was a, a copper cup. It was a copper cup about this big, and it had a handle. And where I come from, if they put something on the pulpit with water in it, they wanted you to drink it. Not where you came from. Because I'm, I'm, I'm standing there soaking wet. I just grabbed that little goblet and whoo, set it back down. That woman said, oh, helping Jesus. Bless him, Lord. One of them hollered, he drunk the baptistry. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, if, if, if all the religion you've got is the religion one man can drink your pool dry in one lick, <laughs> we might need to have a permit. Come on. Hey. Yeah. After that service, thank you, Jesus. That sounds good. After that service. The guy came up to me. He said, Mr. Brown, you have, uh, you have successfully this morning disrupted this entire congregation. He said, uh, and they all love it. And they want to know if you'll come back next week. I said, you get a bigger baptistry and I'll come. <laughs> they just flick folks, you know. Go into all the world and flick people. Man, we didn't flick nobody. We took them down to the creek and dunked them. 
I told, I told them that's what the Bible taught them. They said, you, re- you, you serious? I said, sure. I said, I'll preach on it tonight. They all came back that night. I preached on that unit where he went down into the water. They said, that ain't flicking. I said, you got it. It's, it's dunking. Let's start dunking. And let's quit this flicking stuff. All right, so be it. I stayed there seven months. I didn't join. I wasn't ordained by them. I told them I didn't want, I was not going to be a Methodist, but they didn't have anybody. And they said, will you just stay with us until somebody comes along and tells you that, that this is God's man? We need to hear what you're doing. They started going and getting people. Before I knew it, the, they had a slave balcony in the top of it. It was jam-packed. I mean, I went over there. They had 30, 40. And every, every service, they'd get people. You know why they started bringing people? And you know why they started uh, inviting folks? Because they started rejoicing again in the fact that they don't have to live in captivity. I'm glad tonight, thank God, there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. If we'll let God, He'll put joy back in our heart and joy back in our soul. We, we don't have a money problem in these churches. We don't have a government problem in these churches. We don't have... I'll tell you the kind of problem we got. In the, we got a joy issue. We got a happy issue. We got a happy problem. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The reason we're weak is because our strength has been shut down because our captivity has been cranked up. Have you, ever, have you ever seen somebody get right with God without getting slapped dab happy? <laughs> we had a revival in that little old church, and I had an old man that took a lap about every other week. He'd just run around the church. I said, leave him alone. He don't even know he's in the world. Let him enjoy himself. That's how he told me one time, he said, the happiest day of my life, Sunday. He said, I just love to come to church and, ju- and, and jump and shout and praise a Methodist. I'm talking about a Methodist. He would run around the building, come back and sit down and say, Woo! I, I said, bless him, Jesus. <laughs> Happy Lord. <laughs> the first one, I want you to see this benefit. Now listen, this invitation is, 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 is going to be cut and dry. You cannot, you cannot say anything but yes or no. I said every one of us ought to give our captivity to God, didn't I? Unbelief is captivity. An unwillingness to repent and an unwillingness to let God clean your heart up is a captivity. If you'll let God tonight, He'll clean it up. He'll fix it. And the first thing will happen, your dreams will return. And it may not happen for you like it was happening for you, but it can happen better. And then disciples will rejoice. They'll get happy. People will get happy. Methodists will shout. God's people, touched by the Holy Spirit, can have renewal and encouragement. And here's the last one. The doubters will respond. Read read verse 3. Then, then when, son? When God turned the captivity of There's three of them thens there. Then. He's, he's trying to get you to see, look what will happen in your life if you let me turn your life around. Yeah. Now, he's asking tonight. 
You cannot sit there and look at me, and you cannot sit there and look at him. You cannot sit here this morning or this evening uh, in, in, in a neutral fashion. Will you let him? If you do, your dreams will come back. Your joy will come back. And listen at this. Do you know what we need? We don't need more soul winning programs. There's, it's wonderful to learn verses, wonderful to learn steps, wonderful to learn programs, and learn how to, to use your Bible in any given set of circumstances. But I'm going to tell you, you can't stop a man who starts dreaming from testifying. You can't stop a man uh, whose joy has come back to him. I promise you, he may not know, know no verses. He might not know a verse or two. But I promise you this, he'll go crazy as a bad bug telling everybody Amen. what God done for him. Amen. This boy travels with me. He's in our Bible school. A year and a half ago, his mother spent $120,000 rehabbing him from crack to heroin, to meth. Hold your head up. If you're going to do it, be courageous enough not to be a hypocrite. Bothers you when that truth comes out. Bothers you when that's said. Oh, God. Oh, no, 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 no. Now get your head up. If you're going to be ignorant, do it in public. If you're going to kill yourself, let me watch. Don't you start cowering down I'm telling you, there's hope for you tonight if if you'll not hide your life from yourself. He's messing with that stuff. She put him in four rehabs. Spent most of his uh, young adult years conning people through this particular methadone program and this particular doctrinal program and this AA and Drugs Anonymous and the whole mess. I pastored his mama way far near him. She's a decent woman. And spent most of what she had. Her heart, she's a nurse. And she would go to work every day to earn money to try to fix and correct the foolishness that he was living in. All of a sudden, she got tired of it. And that's what you got to do. You can't keep aiding. You can't keep abetting. You can't keep supplying. You can't keep letting them in the house and steal everything you got. And she dropped him in the middle of the street in downtown Augusta at our rescue mission. She said, I am not facilitating you any longer. You're not stealing nothing else. And with tears running off her face, he begged her, don't turn me loose, Mama. She said, get out of my car. I'll have the police put you out. He got out, stood on the sidewalk. She drove off. He testifies that that was the last time he felt the loneliness and the abandonment of sin and shame and Satan. Said all of a sudden, he was by himself. I'm going to let him tell you what happened. 
I'm going to let him tell you. I want you to revolve it around this. Then they, the heathen, the heathen, has said, the heathen has said, God hath done great things for them. Now, he was a heathen, bona fide, AKC registered. Listen. Our church is just a diversified hodgepodge of nobodies. Last uh, two, three Sundays ago, two prostitutes came, dressed the part, invited off the street, didn't have any more clothes, invited on a Saturday evening uh, through some street preaching that, that they were doing down in Augusta. They invited them, never believing, never thinking. Matter of fact, one of the boys didn't even know the girl was a hooker. 
He was so naive, he had no idea. And they both came to the house of God the next day, set up in the balcony, and they heard the word for the first time in their life. They came back to the hospitality room, and I went up to them. I said, we're glad to have you. I said, where do you live? She said, all over. She said, name somewhere. I'm there, been there, or going there. I said, did you hear the message this morning about the Lamb of God? She said, oh, yes. She said, that wasn't my first time of hearing it, but it was my first time of listening. I said, what are you going to do about it? She said, I'm going to come back tonight and bring another girlfriend of mine if it'll be all right. I said, all of you come back. Get the whole blessed town and bring it. You see, I don't like their looks. I'm not ready. Did I, did I ask you what I thought about what you like? I could have swore I didn't ask you nothing. It don't matter how they look when they see you're real. It don't matter how they talk when they see you're real. It don't matter how they look when they see you're real. And they see, that girl looked at me. She said, if I ever heard a preacher preach, I heard one this morning. She said, I'll be back tonight. They've been coming every service since. Got some clothes on. Been coming, sitting up in the balcony. Rejoicing in the Lord that God's speaking to them. And God's talking to them. Thank God and the Lamb forevermore. Doubters will respond. When God turns the captivity of a church around, we have about 50 men that come from a shelter, a homeless shelter, every service. We baptize them. They walk down the aisle. They're not our color. They're not our culture. They don't smell good. They got an old army jacket and a felt hat on, or they got an old army jacket and a stocking cap on, and they'll come to the house of God and listen with their eyes, bloodshot, liquor on their breath. They'll sit there and call me preacher and call me pastor. I'll preach to them. Give them the Word of God and tell them how Jesus loves them. And I promise you, they don't, they're not concerned about every word I say, but they are concerned about every move we make. They want to see that we're real. And if they see you're real, they'll throw in with you. Our Father, thank you tonight for the goodness of God. Thank you for the captivity that you said you'd turn around. Some of us are held captive tonight, Lord. Some of us are held captive against our own will. We're held captive. Captive. I mean, captive. We are, we are held captive in ourselves. I pray tonight we'll be turned around. Oh, God, please, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will touch. I pray that you will teach. I pray that you will work. And I pray the Holy Spirit of God will do what only God can. And that's touch us. How many of you get out of your seat, find you a place right up here on this altar? Right up here on this altar, you'd say, I want my captivity turned around. I want God to do something for me. I want something brand new. I want something different. I, I, I want God to do something in my ministry. I want God to do something with my preaching. I want God to do something in my heart. Come on. Come on. Had I kept going and let the devil have my life tonight, I would be where I was talking about tonight with these people. I would be there. But God in His goodness saved me. Come on, preacher. i got a drug issue. I tell you what you need to do. You don't need to spend any time hiding it from all the folks around in this holler and around in these subdivisions and around here uh, in this county. What you need to do, you need to just come clean with God and say, Look, I need some help. I need God's power. I need God's touch. I need God's anointing on my life. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to let God do something with me. I'm just going to open up my heart and throw my garbage right out in the middle of the aisle. If anybody don't like it, bless God, I'll just walk over it and go home and deal with it. How about it? How about it?
God right now. That's right. God bless you. Come on. Anyone else? Whatever your captivity is, he can turn it tonight. You're tired of living where you are, bring it to him. Just get up and come on. Bring it on. Many are here. God bless these. Amen. Keep on coming. to give it to you. Would you stand all over the building if you're able? Would you stand with us, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment.